Good afternoon, Grace. Today we kick off our series, and uh, I hope you can't smell my shirt. I've had to wear this three weeks in a row now. I plan on washing it tonight, and I'll bring it back out later on in the series, but I'm kidding you. Hey, if you're new with us today, uh, today we kick off a, a, a series titled Wise Up. And to give you a little background or reorient you as to why we titled it as it is and where we're going over the next few weeks, uh, we're doing a series based on uh, the key books of the wisdom books in the Bible. There's a handful of books that are titled wisdom books, books like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and so forth, we're going to be drawing from. So we're going to look at two particular areas of life, sex and money, that happen to be very crucial to our relationships. And in particular ones that, if we're honest, have probably brought as much pain into our lives as they have a benefit and pleasure and, and why that is. And so we're going to be going through those particular wisdom books, which are books that God wrote through his people, particularly dealing with the day-to-day -day issues of life, of what it is life like and how do we live in this fallen broken world the nitty-gritty type stuff of life and and looking at all the wisdom that it has on these particular topics so today we're going to start with a message in proverbs proverbs chapter one so if you have your bibles with you you can open them up to proverbs chapter one proverbs is probably the biggest book known about wisdom because it's whole a whole bunch of wisdom sayings but all those books that we mentioned are part of the wisdom books we're going to spend some time in proverbs through this series uh, we're going to cover the whole book of the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a, a not very often preached on book, uh, and you'll see why. I've been working a lot to, to get through it. It's a, a whole book, get this, a whole book in the wisdom books on the sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Now, most of you guys are going to go home and read that right away when you get home tonight. But I'm telling you, we're going to be spending the rest of the, uh, well, a good part of this series, the first half of it, dealing with that issue. And then we'll look at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some others around some of the other issues. So that's kind of where we're going over the next few months. But today, I want to uh, start with just looking at wisdom in general and getting an understanding for what wisdom is. Okay, how do we get wisdom? Why do we need wisdom, and who is wisdom for? So we're going to answer those four questions and apply it specifically to these topics we're looking at. Uh, but as we go forward, we're going to focus specifically on those topics. So if you have a Bible with you, as I mentioned, open it to Proverbs. Well, let me get you oriented. Then we're going to pray, and we'll jump in. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some hardcover Bibles in the chairs in front of you. I would encourage you, grab one of those hardcover Bibles, and on your little worship guide, uh, the handout part that has the notes on it, the page number for the passage we're going to be looking at is right there. So on page 527, that'll take you to this passage in that hardcover Bible. I'd encourage you to, to get familiar with where these are, especially if you're new to opening up your Bible and engaging it. Uh, it'll be helpful for you to be able to go back and find this passage later on in the week uh, if you want to reflect or go back and read something that we talked about today. Proverbs chapter 1 is where we'll be today. We're going to look at uh, a good portion of the verses that are in this first chapter of Proverbs talking about wisdom. Let's pray and then we'll jump into our message today. Father, I'm just thankful we have this privilege of gathering as we do uh, just to, to refocus and to remember 
who we are as your children, to remember and reflect on who you are and, and what you've done. And, and Lord, I just love the blessing and the simplicity of the Lord's Supper and the fact that Jesus did this for us and, and told us to continue to do it regularly until he returns as a reminder. And I'm moved every time I hold those elements and, and think about what you did for us by sending your son. He stepped out of heaven, eternally God, and took on human flesh. And he lived the only perfect life this world has ever known. And then he offered that perfect life as a sacrifice. He took the punishment that we foolish people deserve so that we might receive the blessing that his wise life earned. I'll never get over that truth. And Lord, as we just open your word today and look at this idea of wisdom and, and how you have given it to us, and why we need it. I pray that you will open our hearts to, to just the fools that we often are apart from you. Lord, as an individual, as a community, as families, as a nation, Lord, we have turned our backs in so many ways on the wisdom of your word. Lord, our nation is a, in a financial mess, and we can get upset about the financial turmoil of our government, but Lord, they simply reflect the financial turmoil that exists in our homes. We are a debt-ridden people, and we have foolishly stewarded what you intended to be a blessing. And Lord, when it comes to the gift of sex, Lord, we have just slandered it and slapped it up on movies and magazines and done everything that you said would be foolish for us to do in spades. So Lord, open our eyes and soften our hearts to hear from you and return to you in these areas so that we might experience the blessing and the beauty that you intended these gifts to be for us. That's my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for me as an individual. And I ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I pondered the truth of today's message on wisdom, I couldn't help but be overcome with the reality of its truth in my own life. Because today we begin a journey uh, to pursue wisdom as it pertains to sex and money in our relationships. However, I stand before you as one who's been uh, an absolute fool uh, as a young man in my past in each of these areas, but most of all, I'm pertaining to the area of sex. I spent most of my young adult life as a fool when it comes to how I stewarded this gift of sex that God has given us as people. And, and not only could I show you the personal scars I bear because of my foolishness, but I could bring my wife of 25 years up here and interview her, and she could tell you how those scars and my foolishness at that time uh, still uh, has scars in our marriage 25 years later because of my foolishness, because of how I did not steward 
what was intended to be a great gift uh, in my life. That's not even mentioning uh, the people whom I've lost touch with since that season and are probably married and have families of their own, but because of my foolish behavior then, I left scars in their lives as well that probably affect their relationships and their family and how they view this area as well. The scars I've learned of foolishness last significantly longer than its temporal pleasures. The scars of foolishness in my life have lasted significantly longer than any short temporal pleasure that I received by being a fool. And my guess is, is that this room is filled with people that probably have some of the exact same scars that I have. Maybe yours is in a different area, but my guess is, is you probably have scars in your life from someone who's mishandled the gift of sex or mishandled money and, and the resources that they've been given in your life, or maybe from you personally mishandling it. Either they've been inflicted on you by someone around you or you inflicted them on yourself because of your foolishnesses. The fact is, we all bear the scars of our own foolish behavior. It may be prior sexual relationships before you were married, or maybe you're not married now and you've engaged in, in physical sexual relationships and, and you're beginning to experience the scars and wounds of those relationships build up. Maybe it's extramarital affairs that you've been involved in personally or someone in your family or you saw it in your household and you have the scars to show how hurtful that was and is in your life. Maybe it's a sexual addiction that's haunted you or someone close to you for quite some time and you have the scars to show how hurtful that is. Maybe it's the mismanagement of resources that you've been entrusted with and it's left you vulnerable to situations that you needn't be vulnerable to if they'd have been handled properly. Maybe it's overwhelming debt that you've faced and you live every month and every week and every year to just keep up with all these payments and it's caused such a stress and wreaked such havoc in your life that it's crippled and harmed every relationship around you because you constantly live at the brink of collapsing. You see, the scars of foolishness always last longer than the temporary pleasure of foolishness. And today we want to open up and look at a book that talks about this better than any other book we've ever seen. And we want to take these principles and understand the foundation of wisdom in four key questions. I want to answer four questions today around this concept of wisdom. First of all, we want to ask, what is wisdom? We've all heard the term, but what really is wisdom? What does that mean? Second, we want to ask, who is wisdom for? Who needs wisdom? The third thing is, is how do I get wisdom? And then lastly, why do I need it? What is it? Who needs it? How do I get it? And why do I need it? Those are the four questions we want to ask. But I want to close today with the 
the most important thing is, is what are we going to do with it? So I want to answer four questions, but then I want you to consider making a vital commitment today to a different path in your life. It's not going to end today. Today is going to be the very beginning of a new path, a path out of foolishness and into wisdom. My prayer is, is that we as a church, that we as individuals would choose a different route than maybe many of us have the scars to show that we've taken in the past. So if you have your Bible with you, open it up to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at the first seven verses to answer the first couple questions. And then we'll look at verses 20 through 33 to answer the last couple questions for today. Proverbs is a book that's entitled or said was written by the King Solomon. And if you know anything about Solomon's story, you know that Solomon was considered the wisest guy uh, to ever walk the earth in his time. In fact, when he was uh, given the kingdom, he was David, King David's son. And when he was handed over the kingdom to be the next king, uh, he prayed and sought God. And God answered him in a vision and said, Solomon, I, I will give you whatever you want as you become king. Kind of gave him a blank check to help him out. And, and, and Solomon asked God for wisdom. He said, Father, give me wisdom to shepherd your people. And it so pleased God for what he asked for that he gave him even much more than that. So many of these Proverbs are written by him. He was one that had incredible uh, knowledge and, and wisdom in many different areas. And, and so a lot of the book of Proverbs and a lot of the other wisdom books like Ecclesiastes are also written by Solomon, the Song of Solomon that we're going to look at as well. And so we're going to be digging into a lot of things that God taught him and revealed to him during that season. So let's answer the first couple questions looking at these first uh, seven verses. Chapter 1, uh, verse 1 says this, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom. So here's the purpose for why the book of Proverbs was written. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So let's pause right there and, and define what wisdom is. I'm going to give you a, a simple little concise definition of wisdom as well as a, a little bit more written out one and your first point to kind of capture the key nuances of wisdom and we'll take a look at why this is in the passage. So here's a definition for you for wisdom. It's skillful, right living. Skillful, right living. And here's another way you can put, put it together, the two sides of it. It's the knowledge to know what is best and the discipline to do what is best. The knowledge to know what is best, and the discipline to do what is best. Here's what's so important to understand about wisdom. Wisdom is, is practical skills. It's been able to do something for living right. It involves knowing something, and it involves a skill to accomplish. It involves knowing and doing. Okay, it's those two things are incorporated in wisdom. Some people have incredible skills in life. They can accomplish amazing things like design buildings or, or 
put together a whole, you know, business or whatever. They're phenomenally skilled. But they don't use it to do the right thing. That's not wisdom. That's skill, but it's not wisdom. Are you with me? Wisdom is skillful right living. Other people know a whole bunch about what's right, but they've never taken the time to develop the skill to do what is right. I mean, example, have you ever, have you ever gone to visit a doctor and, and come across a person who is so grossly overweight and out of shape and unhealthy as a doctor, and he's sitting there knowing all this stuff about the body, trying to help you get healthy, and you take one look at him and go, maybe you better take a look in the mirror, buddy. <laughs> That's what God's talking about here. Wisdom is not knowing a whole bunch of information. Now, our modern-day society values that and thinks highly of people like that. God doesn't think, in fact, those are the people that God speaks the worst about. Those are the ones he calls the fool. The fool is not someone who just doesn't know what they need to do. They're called the naive or simple. The fool is the one who knows what they should do and is too hard-hearted to do it. That's a fool. See, wisdom is knowing and doing. It's knowledge and skill. And you see that even in the words that are used to describe the purpose of the book. It says here, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing. Okay, so you see those terms. If you go to the next slide on here, you'll see that two words there are bolded, instruction both times. Let me tell you what the word means. It's a Hebrew word called uh, musar. Musar was the Hebrew word for instruction. It's used many times throughout the book of Proverbs. But it's instruction the way they understood instruction. We tend to think of instruction in our modern day society as just transferring some information into another person's brain. They've been instructed. That's not how the Hebrews would have used that. Instruction, the word itself, musar, actually means training or discipline. That's one of the ways you can translate that word because they would have never thought of instruction without the discipline to actually put it into practice. Let me show you two other passages in the Bible that highlight that very clearly. Proverbs 12.1, you can make a note of this in your notes, but we'll bring it up on the screen. In Proverbs 12.1, it says this. It says, whoever loves discipline, that's musar, the same word that we see in, in chapter 1. Whoever loves discipline or whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Yeah, it says it right there. You know, we're not supposed to, our teachers always told us, don't call people stupid. Well, God calls us stupid. I'm just saying. Take that one to your teacher and see how they respond to that. I'm kidding you, okay. But he does. God calls us stupid if we have knowledge but we don't have the discipline to put it into practice. We're foolish. They would have never disconnected those thoughts. Uh, instruction is a discipline. It's training someone to do something. Another passage, one chapter over, just flip over to chapter 13. A great passage that uses that same term in the context of parenting. It says in verse 13, uh, excuse me, verse 24 of chapter 13, it says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is disciplined or is diligent to musar, to discipline, to instruct him. Not to tell him simply what's right, but to train him and discipline him to do what's right. 
So wisdom is the knowledge to know what's right and the discipline to do what's right. You cannot disconnect those two concepts. And we'll come back to that to see why that's so important. Who is it for? This passage tells us also who needs wisdom. So we've seen what wisdom is. It's knowing and it's doing. It's having the knowledge or pursuing to know what's right. And it's disciplining and training yourself to do what is right. But who needs it is also talked about in this passage. Solomon says these, and I've highlighted some of the colors of them. So the simple, it says, need knowledge. The youth, the wise even, increase in learning. So it's really giving us, in a poetic way, the whole gamut of who, people who need it. The simple is the, really a word that we might use as naive. Okay, all of us are naive in some areas. Maybe you started a new job or maybe you moved to a new area and you're kind of naive in the sense that, man, the first thing I need to do is I just need to know where to go. I mean, I was naive when I moved to Laredo until I ate at Taco Palenque. Then suddenly, <laughs> I knew how I was going to survive down here. You know what I'm saying? So naive is your simple. You need to learn first. And that's okay. That's, that's how you grow. But once you know, then you got to put something into practice. The other is youthful, the people who are young. You just don't have time in your life to have all the experiences, and so those people need wisdom as well. But notice what Solomon also says. The wise person gets understanding. He's saying it doesn't matter where you are. Even if you're wise, a wise person is not a person who's reached a certain stature. A wise person is one who understands this concept that I need to know more about these topics and I need to put them into practice. We often know way more than we put into practice. We'll never outgrow that need to learn. Knowledge and discipline. Let me share with you one area that I feel like uh, we lack this and, it, and it's part of where, where it needs to start to change. In, in our households, we've adopted a mindset in raising our kids that separates and removes wisdom from the household. We've adopted, I think, a, a lot of modern-day concepts of discipline strictly focus on the knowledge side of things. In fact, you'll see a lot of people, they'll just say, just sit down and reason with your child. If, they can just, if you can just help them know what they did wrong or what they did right, then they're going to change their behavior. <laughs> I think people that write these books have never had kids. I mean, come on, I've had five of them. I've tried that with all five. It hasn't worked with one. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> you see, you would have never seen that separation in proper parenting. And here's what I think is interesting. What we've come to accept as parents, oh, I'm just going to reason with my kid. I'm not going to discipline them. I'm not going to train them. That just, oh, that just seems so harsh. I'm, I'm just going to reason with them. We would never accept that model anywhere else in life. And yet we've embraced it in the most important part of our society, the family unit, where we develop these kids that go out. Let me just give you some examples. If you were to take your kid, say you signed them up for a, an athletic event or, or maybe for dance or band or drama or whatever it might be, some extracurricular activity, and you took them to that instructor, okay? And, and that instructor just sat in a chair and said, I'm going to tell you about football. I'll tell you about some plays. I'll draw some X's and O's up here. That's what you got to do. You guys got it? All right. All right. Saturday we're playing. We're good to go. You know, I've told you. I've told you. I've given you all the information you need. You go to a ballet instructor, and they just 
write pictures on the, the wall of what the different ballet stands do, or different, you know, stands. I don't know what you call it for ballet. I just help me out here. You would yank your son or daughter out of there so quickly because you go, that guy is a horrible instructor. Why? Not because they don't know what they're doing, because they don't know how to discipline and train your son or daughter. They can't get them to do something. And they don't know how to use healthy discipline to correct a mistake they're making and help them do it properly. You wouldn't do that with a teacher. You'd laugh at a teacher that did the same thing. You'd mock a society that just posted a whole bunch of rules and then had all their policemen just sit around in their police stations and go, hey, we've told them what's right, but heck, if we're going to discipline anyone that does it wrong, heck, if we're going to train people in our society to do things right, you would mock a society, you would mock a school, you would mock a coach, you would mock a trainer that did that kind of training. And yet, we have embraced that very model in the most important task we have as people, to parent and raise the next generation. You see, wisdom is knowing and doing. It's instructing and it's training and disciplining. And that's exactly what this book is all about. It's practical skills for everyday right living. And we see it right here. Why or how do I get it? We've seen what it is. We've seen who needs it. We all need it. And how do I get it? Well, verse 7 addresses that, and then verses 20 and following in two different ways. We're going to see an action and an attitude. Okay, first we're going to have an attitude we need to get wisdom, and then we're going to see an action that we need to take. Verse 7 gives us the attitude. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What we're seeing here is that you start wisdom with a healthy fear of the Lord. That word means to revere or to honor or to respect. Can you ever have a teacher or a coach or a trainer that you had absolutely no respect for? I mean, you had to be in their class or you had to be there, but you had zero respect for them as a coach or a teacher or a, or a boss. How, how, how diligent were you to put into practice the things that they taught you? Not much at all, were you? In fact, you'd awfully kind of mock. You'd maybe do it when they were around, but as soon as they were gone, you'd kind of, you'd often you'd make fun of them. You'd talk, oh, my did you hear what they said today? Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. Right, you knew what they were telling you, but you didn't put it into practice. Why? Because you didn't respect them. You didn't honor them. Same is true with God. See, some of us, don't want to admit it. We want to think that we honor God. We want to think that we trust Him. We want to think that we respect Him. But if we were to be honest and take a look at our lives, would our lives reflect a life of wisdom or of foolishness? We might know a whole lot about it. We might throw church into our life, and a lot of us do that maybe twice, maybe three times, some of you four times a week or a month. Not four times a week. It's a neat part of your life. You feel, oh, maybe it'll bless me with my family. Maybe it'll help me with my business. But, you know, I'm not going to do everything that that Bible says. Or that Jesus was kind of a strange character. He doesn't work in my world. So you got, you got God kind of sprinkled in your life, but you don't revere him. You don't understand fully who he is. Because until you do, 
you will never become a wise person. You'll chunk this wisdom as soon as it doesn't seem to benefit you immediately in your workplace, in your marriage, and in your personal life. Because you truly respect yourself more than you respect or honor him. The Bible says, until you begin with a healthy reverence for him, until you've had a, a situation in your life where God has opened your eyes to the majesty and magnificence of who he is, to the point where you recognize how broken and how fallen and how rotten you are apart from him. You'll never accept his wisdom. For some of you today, that's the first step you need to take. That was the step I needed to take when I was acting like an utter fool. And I knew better. I'd been taught better. I, it wasn't a lack of knowledge that, that made me such a fool. It was a heart attitude that did not respect or revere God the way he deserved. And so I just did what I wanted to do. And until he met me and broke me and changed me, I was never going to do anything different. Some of you are in that same spot. And until you understand how true and right God is, then the whole rest of this series is going to mean nothing to you. But some of you have done that. You've come across that step in your journey and you've accepted him and do revere him and honor him. And, and there's still something for you as well. And verse 20 going on talks about the action that we need to take. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. and the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. What Solomon is doing here is he's painting a poetic picture of wisdom rather than just coming out and saying, hey, wisdom is available for everyone. It's, you just got to get it. He, he paints this picture that she's a, a woman running through the city. You can find her at the gates. You can find her in the market. No matter where you go, you can't escape the fact that she's there. You just have to look for her. What he's saying, in a sense, is this. Your ignorance about what God says is wise is not an excuse. You can't use that as an excuse because wisdom is available. Here's my second point for you to put these two together. Is my journey toward wisdom begins with great honor for God and continues with a humble pursuit of wisdom. Begins with honor. If you don't respect him, you don't revere him, if you don't understand who he is and that haven't had that heart change first, then you're never going to do the other things. But it continues with humble pursuit. You see, after you've gained a respect or, or, or that's been changed in your life, you cannot use ignorance as an excuse all your life. You know what I'm talking about? You can't say, I didn't know the Bible said so much about sex and money. You ever heard that? I hear that all the time. Oh, pastor, I had no idea the Bible said that much about it. Here's a hint. Open it up. It's right in here. But we play the fool, don't we? We do the same thing. Parents, come on. 
we do the exact same thing our kids try to do to us. Oh, I didn't know you wanted me to, to clean my dishes when I'm done eating. I didn't know I was supposed to take the garbage out of the can and put it in the one out there. Come on, they, you know what I'm talking about. All our kids do it. The sad thing is, is adults, we do the exact same thing with God. I didn't know you talk about sex in here. What do you think, the kids just pop up in your house all of a sudden? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest, guys. Guys, let me, let me talk to you for a minute, guys. There is so much here. There are hundreds of Christian books written on the topic of sex and money. Hundreds. That if you really wanted to know about it, if you really wanted to know what God said about sex, you could easily find it if you just made an effort. I mean, if I told you I was going to give you the money to buy any truck you want, you would spend hours on the Internet. You would search every magazine, every article, everything you could find to get the best possible truck at the best price with the best features. You know how to find wisdom on the things that are important to you. And let's just talk about hunting accessories. I mean, come on. Okay, ladies, when you're done elbowing your husbands, let me talk to you a little bit. Because I see what comes in your mailboxes. All these home and garden magazines and every piece of furniture and clothing item. You know where to get the best deal on the best items of whatever color, at whatever price, at whatever place, at whatever time you want. You can get exactly what you want and you know exactly what to look for. Because it's important to you and you will seek out wisdom. For those things. And then we come to church and we say to God, I didn't know your Bible said so much about <laughs> sex and money. We act just like our kids. Come on. We're just in older bodies. And Solomon's telling us, God's not buying it just like any good parent sees right through their kids when they play the I didn't know what I had to take a garbage out. You mean it doesn't just pick up and go out there by itself every day, Dad? We are just fools, aren't we? Come on, let's just admit it. Just, just say this. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you are such a fool. Come on, say it. And then say this, and so am I. That way they don't feel so offended that you just said that to them. We got to respect God and we got to pursue wisdom. But why do I need it? The rest of this passage is probably about as poignant and pointed and powerful as any passage in the Bible. And Solomon's going to paint a picture for you and me, both positive and negative of why we need wisdom. I'm going to start with the negative, and then we'll end with the positive. But, but just pause and think about your own life. Think about your own experiences, and tell me if everything he says here is not true of you and me. Here's what Solomon says about why we need wisdom because of the negative consequences that come with foolishness or the blessing that comes with embracing. He says in verse 24, because 
I have called. He's still using this idea of wisdom being a woman calling out. And he's saying now, because I, wisdom, have called and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, meaning wisdom, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Here's my point, and I'll tease it out a little bit. When I reject wisdom, I will not escape the consequences. When I reject wisdom, I will not escape the consequences. See, when you mock wisdom, you mock God. Wisdom is not some academic, abstract, intellectual concept. It's a practical, spiritual counsel that comes from the living, breathing creator of the universe who made you. And when you mock it, you mock him. See, not only will wisdom not rescue you immediately, like this passage says, from your circumstances when you call out for help, when you find yourself in a calamity because you've been foolish, not only will wisdom not rescue you, but you will experience the pain and the mocking of those consequences for much of your life. I, I pondered this and thought about this for a long time and wrestled with it because I thought, you know, we serve a, a loving and gracious and forgiving God. But this passage sounds so strong. And I had to stop and ask myself, what is this talking about? This passage is talking about wisdom in this life. It's not talking about forgiveness. It's not talking about eternity. Because you can be a fool and, and find yourself in calamity and call out to God and ask for forgiveness, and he will forgive you of your foolishness. But that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about the consequences of foolishness and how wisdom operates in this world. And it could not be more true in my life and in the lives of so many people I've seen. You see, I know I'm forgiven for every sexual sin I ever committed in my life. I've confessed it. I've dealt with those issues in my life in that foolish past. But you know what? The consequences of my decisions still mock me to this day. They still laugh, and they still bring up my past, and I still deal with some of the pain and hurt in my own personal relationship because of my foolishness back then. doesn't mean I'm not forgiven. I won't be dealing with that at all 
when I walk in eternity. But wisdom is all about life here on this earth. When you act like a fool on this earth, wisdom will mock you. And I say this not to rub your nose in your past because mine would be right there rubbed in it. I say this to warn you to stop being a fool. This is help me walk away from the foolish decisions I've made in the past thinking, oh, I can be an idiot with my credit card and I can be a fool with the internet and pornography. I can just jump into this because God's a loving God. He'll forgive me and I'll ask for forgiveness and everything will be honky-dory again. That is not what the Bible says. Yes, you'll be forgiven, and when eternity comes, that stuff will be wiped out. But as long as you live on this earth, you will live with the mocking and the results of foolish decisions you make. And God and Solomon are teaching us to live differently. You don't have to live with those consequences. Instead, choose wisdom. It's so much better for us. It's what he wants for us. I don't think I have to spend any more time talking about the truth of that. Perfect example is ring your credit cards up. Acquire all kinds of debt like many of us maybe have at some point in our lives and then recognize how foolish it was, repented of it and said, God, I'm going to take a different path. And God forgives you at that moment. But one thing I've noticed, this is a pattern I've noticed in every person I've ever counseled or talked with through this, is God has yet to pay off their credit cards. I can't figure it out. We send them to them, but he just keeps sending them back. said, you spent the money, you pay it back. You're going to live with it, forgiven or not. Instead, he says, be wise before you enter into an area that you know nothing about. You see, I was a a young, immature fool that didn't want to know what God said about sex. I just wanted to jump in and try it out for myself. And he said, you do that, Chad, and see how that works. You get back to me in 25 years and see how that works for you. There were areas in my life that I could go back and take a big eraser to. That would be them. I would love to have given my wife the gift of my total commitment and faithfulness to her when we stood at that altar. By the grace of God, she's loved me in my brokenness. But I would never encourage anyone else to follow that same foolish path. So what is the good way? Praise God that Solomon wrote that too. And two verses capture the positive of why we need wisdom as well. He says in verse 23, he says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, 
and I will make my words known to you. What he's saying is that if you'll turn at my reproof, meaning if you'll accept my wisdom, I will give you my spirit, meaning I'll empower you to live differently, and I'll make my words known to you. I'll give you insight and understanding about what I've taught you. And then he gives a promise at the end in verse 33. He says, but whoever listens to me, this is in contrast to the consequences of the fool, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. You see, this passage basically says this, when I turn from foolishness, I will experience God's favor and his wisdom. When I turn from foolishness, I will experience God's favor and God's wisdom. And I could give you all kinds of examples where I have seen that in my life, when I've chosen to embrace wisdom and how God has used it to grant his favor and to bring his protection in our lives. Now understand, Applying wisdom and and pursuing wisdom does not mean you're going to have a super easy life with no problems at all. That's not the promise that Proverbs makes. Not in this fallen, broken world. These are principles for this world. And in this world, you're going to have pain and you're going to have problems. You're going to have calamities. But what it's saying is that you will minimize those and lower the, the depth of those disasters by living wisely. We've lived wisely for 20 years in our marriage financially. We didn't live with debt. We were very careful with how we uh, used our resources. And we accumulated a lot in our home in a lot of different areas. And we faced a huge calamity, a huge medical calamity with our daughter. Cost us nearly $100,000 when all was said and done between travel, medical expenses, and all that stuff. And would have wiped out a typical family. We had to sell our home. We had to move and live in a rental out in Bruni for two years. But after those two years were done, we were totally debt-free. We lost a good majority of the equity we'd had in our home that took us 20 years. But because we'd chosen to live that way, something that could have wiped out a family completely financially was just a big bump in the road for us, a very hard bump but one in which we were greatly protected because God's wisdom protects us from even the worst calamities in life. Solomon was considered the wisest man of his time. However, if you've ever studied his life, you know that he made some really foolish decisions. Incredibly foolish. And it got me thinking, If the wisest man who ever lived could not even save himself from his own foolishness, what possibility do I ever have of being wise enough to save myself from my foolishness? I think that's true for all of us. But fortunately, God didn't just send us Solomon. God sent us a greater Solomon, a man whose wisdom far exceeded Solomon's because it wasn't just a wisdom that existed in his head, but it was one that was lived out perfectly in his life without exception. Jesus Christ never violated any principle of wisdom 
that he learned. And the Bible says he did learn wisdom. As he came and took on human flesh, the Bible says he stepped out of heaven, being eternally God, eternally the Son, and he took on a human body, and for that time period, set aside his rights as God, and lived as a man. And the Bible says he grew in wisdom, and in knowledge, and in stature, with God and with man. And what was so amazing about Jesus is not that he was wise, as, as great as that was, not that he grew in wisdom, as amazing as that was. What's so amazing about Jesus is after living a perfectly wise life, he should have received the promises that this passage talks about. He should have lived without dwelling or dwelling securely. He should have been at ease. He should have been without dread of disaster. But instead of getting those promises that this passage talks about, he found all the consequences that the fool is supposed to receive. He was mocked. He was laughed at. When disaster struck and he called out for his father, no one answered him. When he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was silent. Because Jesus took what you and I deserved for our foolishness. He experienced all these consequences that should have been for you and for me. that he can make this promise possible for anyone who will trust in him. You see, you'll never be wise enough to escape your own foolishness. That's why God in his love sent his son to live the only life that was perfectly wise and accept the consequences of your foolishness and mine so that he could make available to you a promise that if you will turn and look to him in his wisdom, then he will show you his favor, he will pour his spirit out in your life, and he will keep you secure. Church, if Jesus was willing to pay this infinite cost to make wisdom's blessing available to us is it too much to ask for us to pay a finite price to pursue this wisdom i mean is that too much of god to, to ask you to make a, a a temporal finite sacrifice or payment to receive wisdom and its blessing when he paid infinitely to make it available to you is it too much for god to, to say to you as a single person put Aside your desire for sexual pleasure now. Make that payment. Pursue that wisdom. It's going to cost you something because I have something so much better to give you if you'll just wait. Is it too much for him to ask you to make a financial commitment now and a sacrifice right now in the area of your finances so that he can give you a greater benefit and a greater contentment down the road? Because you've thought about your future and not just what you want right here in the present. So I want to challenge you today to make a vital commitment. In what area of your life do you most need to turn and listen to God's wisdom?
Inside your worship guide, and as we close today, we'll close with this. Inside your worship guide is a little yellow card. It looked like this right here. You don't need to write your name on it because you're not telling me. This is between you and God. This is you, this is us applying this principle in our own lives. And I want to challenge you to make a commitment in one of three areas. Some of you, you haven't begun that path to wisdom yet because you haven't come to a place in your life where you revere God, where you respect Him, where you understand how magnificent He is and how broken you are. And maybe He opened your eyes to that truth today. Then my challenge to you would be to take the most important step you could ever take. Make the wisest decision you could ever choose to do in your life and trust Him. Look what He's done for you. He's so worthy of your trust. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Others of you have taken that step, but like me, you bear scars, or maybe you're continuing to walk on a path of foolishness in your sexual life or in your financial life. And I just want you to stop for a minute and picture what future awaits you if you continue down that path. What scars are you continuing to inflict on yourself if you continue to be a fool in this area? And just say, God, I need you to change me. I need wisdom. Call out to him and, and just circle the one that you realize is most important for you to make a change in today. And then in the little line, just write, because why? Why? You're not writing this to anyone else. You're just confessing it to God. And then as we sing this song, I want you just to tangibly get up out of your seat and come up and set that here on the steps, on the stage, or wherever you want to up here. And, and in offering that to God, thank Him for the gift of His Son, for the perfect wisdom that He's provided for your foolishness and for mine. And say, I'm ready to go on this journey with you, God.
There's hope for the hopeless And all those who sway Come sit at the table Come taste the grace There's rest for the weak Rest that endures Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't kill So lay down your your eyes with me for a minute. I just want you to picture a different future. I want you to picture in your mind what your relationships might look like if they were characterized by God's wisdom in the area of sex and money. Maybe, maybe you're a single person and instead of bouncing from one hurt relationship to another, laying a broken crumbled and shaky foundation for your future marriage. Instead, you'd be honoring those of the opposite sex, protecting the future marriage of others, and preparing yourself for the true satisfaction you desire within a faithful, committed relationship. Maybe you marry couples. How nice would it be to minimize and eliminate hurtful conversations about sex or your finances and replace them with the joy passion, the intimacy, and the enjoyment God intended these gifts to be. Imagine a month where the money didn't run out before the month did, and you didn't argue or stress about who spent what. Imagine a week where no one got a headache 
or no one said something insensitive, squelching your physical enjoyment and pleasure with each other. Is this even possible? It's not if we continue down our path of foolishness. But it is when we embrace a life of wisdom that God has revealed. Imagine if we became a people within our city who lived wisely regarding sex and money and began fully enjoying these gifts as God intended them. Imagine how other people would look at you. Imagine how they would see a different picture than what they'd seen in their own lives, what they'd grown up with in their own families. Imagine the difference a group of people could make in a city littered with sexual hurt and pain and financial problems. Just imagine what God could do if we simply chose to trust Him and follow Him in these areas that He so longs to bless us with. Father God, we just thank You and praise You that even in our foolishness, even when we were hell-bent on being fools. He broke into this world and loved us like no one else. Father, help us to follow in his footsteps. Help us to be an example to others. Help us to choose the wisdom that Jesus chose because he had a vision for something so far beyond this earthly life. Be a church that brings your blessing and wisdom to a community that desperately needs to see another path. We ask these things in your name.